Well, good morning. Good morning, New Life Church. How's everyone this morning? Good, good. My name is Eric Estep. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm thrilled to be able to walk us through two verses in Romans 1 today. Two verses. Why don't you all turn to Romans 1? Um, I figure we're all about to go watch an abnormally long football game so we can all endure an abnormally long sermon. There we go. It'll be easy. Turn to Romans 1. Who thinks it's hard to meet someone new? Anyone? I'm there. Anyone? You have to show up. You have to say, hello, my name is. You have to figure out what on earth to talk about. You have to engage with this person. Figure out something interesting. Here we go. And normally, if you're like me, I feel like I don't need to do this. I have friends. I don't need to know you. I'd rather go do my own thing. I'd rather go sit and read a book. I'd rather just be by myself. And if you're like me, I often, and you might often, not feel eager to engage with people. That's the language we use here at New Life Church. We engage people so that they delight in Jesus, so that they delight in God. And it's not easy to engage. It's not easy to show up and stand there in front of someone and say, hey, let's be friends. It takes work, and I'm not always eager, and I anticipate and expect that you are not always eager as well. I was in, the other day, I was in Israel, and I was walking around, and I don't know if you know anything about Israel. There's a lot of different people in Israel. And I was walking around, and I was seeing a lot of people with different religions and different colors of skin and different languages and different um, ethnic backgrounds and all these things, and I... I I don't know these people. I don't need to engage with these people. I don't need to put myself out there for these people. I don't, they're not my problem. I don't know. I don't know these people. But, thinking about it, I wasn't eager. And if you know the scriptures, you know that neighbors, right? Neighbors. The other day I was in Atlanta. Last week, actually, with some co-workers uh, from my other job. I have another job with uh, HVAC stuff. And I wanted to go get some good coffee. And so I convinced some coworkers uh, to come with me on a very long walk through downtown to find this awesome coffee shop that ended up being closed. And we walked through downtown Atlanta, and eventually we got to a spot that was maybe a little less comfortable, to the point where one of the guys turned to me and said, where did you take us? Where are we? Are we safe here? And people maybe didn't look a little bit like us. And we weren't comfortable with the people we were seeing because we're not used to interacting with that kind of, those kind of people because they're different than me and I'm different than them. Whatever. Not eager. Still neighbors, right? I was in southeast Portland. Southeast Portland. I saw a sweet deal on Craigslist for a couch, so I went to southeast Portland. And it's, it's very not suburban, right? It's not West Lynn. And I was there and it was a little bit different and I was a little bit uncomfortable and let's get the couch, let's get out and put it in the, in the place and we'll sit on the couch and we'll read a book and that's fine. Not eager. I was at the Bolton Neighborhood Association meeting the other day. I don't know if you know this, we're in the Bolton neighborhood. This is Bolton. So who, <laughs> of the people in this meeting, who are they to me? Neighbors, all neighbors, definitely neighbors. And even there, I was still a little bit uneager 
to engage with people, to engage with my neighbors, to engage with the people that literally live on the same street as I do. It's not easy. They're my neighbors. And I was realizing that my lack of eagerness is related to the fact that I didn't realize what my obligations were. Does that relate to anybody or am I just a recluse? Anybody? Thank you. Okay. I'm just airing all this stuff and everyone's going, I talk to everyone I meet. I don't know what you're talking about. I love everybody. This morning, we are going to see that our eagerness can be driven by our obligations. And when we understand what our obligations are, we understand that we're obligated to our neighbors, to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors. Believing the good news obligates us to proclaim it to our neighbors. And that's what these two verses are going to show us this, this morning. That believing the good news, believing the gospel, obligates us to proclaim it to our neighbors. Let me read this. Verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 1. Paul says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. It's so short, I'm just going to read it again. Why not? I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul has just, before this, been talking about the gospel, that Jesus, the Son of God, is the one that gives us grace and peace. That was in verse 7. Grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, lo- he loves the gospel. He's thrilled about the gospel. And he just spent a bunch of time telling the Romans, I'm trying to get to you. I want to be with you. I've been longing to make this happen. I've intended to come to you. It hasn't worked out for a long time, but I'm trying really hard. I want to be with you. I want to be there with you. I want to engage with you. And verse 14 tells us, his motivation for doing that. It says, I am under obligation. I'm under obligation. If, and you may know the story of Paul. Um, the simple story, his name used to be Saul. He was Saul the Christian killer. He was a Jew that wanted to eradicate the way, the way of Jesus, the, the people that were following Jesus. And one day he was on the road to Damascus, which is in Syria, modern day Syria. And he's walking there because he wants to go kill Christians. This is a crazy story. Does anyone have a story like this? I don't have a story like this. He's walking towards Damascus so he can go kill Christians. And Jesus shows up, knocks him to the ground and says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you spending your time trying to extinguish the followers of Jesus? And he gets blinded and he gets taken to, um, to a city. And it's, Jesus says that Paul is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's in Acts chapter 9. Jesus grabs Saul, this Jew, this Christian killer, and says, the gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for all nations, all neighbors, and you, Paul, are going to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Go. And so we see this letter to Romans, and we see that Paul is working to um, preach the gospel, to build the church, to go make disciples. And he's talking to Romans, the Romans, and he says, I am under obligation. I have to do this. 
This is a strong word. I don't, I don't know how often you guys use the word obligation. Um, actually, this word is not used very many times in the Bible. It's about seven times in the whole New Testament. A very rare word. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, when it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, same word. When it talks about owing, I owe it to this person, same word in the Bible. When I have to follow this because it's what I must do, same word. So Paul is saying, I have to do this. I have a debt to be paid. I owe this to you. I am under obligation to you. We usually talk about obligations when there's no other options, right? When we're talking about money or we're talking about how we're going to spend our time, we usually have things we're obligated to pay. And then we have things we'd much rather spend our money on, right? And I don't know about you, but I have often been over here in this category and, man, I would really like those new speakers. I also like it when my lights turn on. And if, if you are wise, often your preferences get put on the back burner because your obligations are more important, right? I need to pay my rent. I need to make sure the mortgage is up to date. I need to make sure the lights stay on and the water keeps running. And the water's hot when it's running, because I like hot showers. I don't know about you. And there's things we are obligated to do, and if we're properly looking at how we allot our money, we make sure the obligations are met before the preferences are met. Right? People in different relationships or different jobs talk about having an obligation. People in the military will say, this is my obligation. I am duty-bound. I have to do this. And if they're properly thinking about their position, they make sure their obligations are done before they do their preferences. Journalists will talk about having an obligation to their readers. And things should be weighed accordingly. If you have a strong friendship, you have an obligation to your friends, and you're going to make sure those obligations are met before you go do something else. I have an obligation to my wife above every other human relationship I have. Obligation is not a small word. It's strong language. And Paul is saying, I am under obligation. I have to do this. I must do this. And who is he under obligation to? Both to the Greeks and to barbarians. Both to the wise and to the foolish. So who is Paul talking about here? Everybody, right? We, we talk like this, right? There's, there's two kinds of people in the world. Morning people and not morning people. Right? A personality, B personality. Analog watches, digital watches. Dog people, cat people. Me and everyone else. There's two types of people. And Paul is saying everyone in a very specific way. He said, he, first he says Greeks and barbarians. This is the, the Greek way of saying me and everybody else. Because the Greeks are the civilized. They have the city-states. They live in a polis. They have the democracy. They are in the know. And in their little cities, they can look at everyone else and they say Barbarians. Barbarians are the uncivilized. They don't speak the Greek language. They don't know what's going on, and they're just outside of us. And Paul is saying, Greeks and barbarians, in a specifically Greek way, he says, I am under obligation to everybody. 
And we talk this way, right? City dwellers and country folk. People that live in the city and the suburbs. People, we say civilized, uncivilized. Um, We quickly put into two categories people in the world because we're often in one of those categories and we're making a judgment about the other. He says, both to the wise and to the foolish, the smart and the dumb, the educated and the uneducated, the intelligent and the ignorant, the elite and the rest, everybody. And the truth is, in general, we're more comfortable engaging with the people that we have deemed to be in our little circle. So wherever you are in life, if someone is not in the circle you think you're in, I'm over here, I don't need to engage with these people. They're not me, they're not the same, they live in the city, I don't live in the city, they do weird things, and they're looking at you going, they do weird things. We don't want to be engaged, we don't feel obligated, because they're different. And Paul is saying, when he says, I'm under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish, it makes no difference who you are. If you are breathing, no matter your language or your culture or your locale or your um, way of speaking, I have an obligation to you. I owe it to you. I am indebted to you. I need to do something for you. So I am eager to preach the gospel. I love this because it shows that Paul is thinking about his obligations and his obligations are informing what he's excited about. Paul says, I'm obligated to all people and because I'm obligated to all people, I am eager to come to you. I am eager to travel to Rome. I am eager to show up and be with you. And I... He points out in, in chapter 1, he's like, my, my actions have proved this. I've been trying really hard. I've been hindered, but I've been trying really hard. My life has been trying to get to Rome. I am eager. And he wants to proclaim the good news, preach the gospel, it says here in chapter 1. He wants to proclaim the gospel to these Christians he's writing to and to anyone else in Rome he can find. If this is... If it's a person that's never heard the gospel, he wants to preach the gospel, proclaim the good news. He's writing to people that already probably know the gospel, and he still wants to preach the gospel to these people. And even in the way he's talking about this, he's saying the gospel is not a starting line thing. It's not a, okay, preach the gospel once, okay, you have that, I'll do other things now. Paul is saying, I have to preach the gospel because it's the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end, it's the good news and it affects everything. And if you've heard it never before, I need to tell it to you. And if you've heard it before and you believe it, I need to remind you of the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel and show up in Rome because of my obligation. It's, the gospel is not preliminary, the gospel is not prerequisite. It's always relevant and pertinent to every piece of life. And Paul is eager to preach it, eager to proclaim it. It's so, I just love it. It's so clear that the glory of the gospel has grabbed Paul. If you remember the beginning of verse or chapter 1, he starts talking and he says, Jesus, and he goes, I have to explain Jesus. And he goes on for four verses. The gospel's true. The gospel has just grabbed Paul and he knows his obligations are tied to the gospel. And because of that, he's eager to go to Rome. 
So I don't know about you, but I've sat under this kind of sermon before, and I sit there and I go, I'm not Paul. I'm not Paul. I don't. I never got knocked to the ground when I was going to go kill Christians. I'm not my story. I didn't do that. I don't think I've ever been described as a chosen instrument for the Gentiles. I'm not Paul. That guy was crazy. And if you're like me, we or I make excuses and we say, well, that's, that's Paul's obligation. Or that's, that's the apostle's obligation. The guys that started the church, that was their obligation. Or the original disciples, that was their obligation. Or the people that feel called to missions, that's their obligation. I'm, I'm supposed to sit here. Or that's, that's the pastor's obligation. That's the church's staff obligation. And we just push it out. We push it out. And I could, I could just remind us of the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, Jesus, he grabs all of his disciples after he has risen from the dead. He's standing on a mountain and he pulls all his disciples together and he says, Hey, disciples, go and make disciples. So he just started a rhythm. Disciples make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. And if you follow Jesus and have been saved by him, you're a disciple and we're supposed to make disciples. But let's go a different route. I want to go and walk us through an, uh, the language of obligation because I think it's, it's powerful and, and it's, it's jumped into my heart in a big way. And I think the Holy Spirit is, can change us through, through these words. In John 10, Jesus is talking about, talking to his disciples and, and explaining um, his role as a shepherd. And in John 10, verse 14, it says, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. God obligates himself to us. God obligates himself to us. Of all the people in the entirety of existence that doesn't need to do something, it's God. Of all the people that can do whatever he wants, it's God. And God decided, he looked down on us, a wretched bunch of people, broken, alienated, errant children, scattered sheep, enemies, and God obligated himself to us. And God decided, we're going to send Jesus. We're going to send Jesus and we're going to fix this. We're going to send Jesus and he's going to be the shepherd that is going to be so determined to go grab his sheep that he's going to say to his disciples, I must bring them also. God obligates himself to us. This is astounding. God did not need to save you. God did not need to fix the broken relationship. God did not need to sacrifice himself for us. But he obligated himself to us. And so we have Jesus the shepherd saying, there's sheep out there and I must bring them. I must go get them. I must bring them back because there's going to be a fold and I'm going to be the shepherd. There's going to be one flock and I'm going to save the sheep. God obligates himself. In John 20 
after the death of Jesus, where he obligated himself to death, and after the resurrection of Jesus, where he says, this is proof that I have fulfilled my obligation, he says to his disciples in John 20, 21, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you the same obligation that God put himself under. He sends us with the same obligation. The same way Jesus was sent by the father. Jesus sends us. Later, once the church is off and running and people are making disciples, Paul tells Christians in Corinth, another city with another bunch of believers, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14-21, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We live for Jesus, for Christ. Not for me, not for my stuff, not for my preferences. We live for Jesus. Verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul's saying we can't use our categories anymore. Greek, barbarian, wise, foolish. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you have been saved by King Jesus, you no longer live for yourself. And as believers... We should no longer regard people by the flesh and put them into categories and they're not in my category so I'm not going to engage with them anymore. Insiders, outsiders, belonging, not belonging. Paul says we don't do that anymore. You are a new creation. You are not your old self and you are not, um, and you are not categorized in that way anymore. The good news is that God looked on the broken world and said, I will obligate myself to these people. I will reconcile them so that the relationship between God and man is good again. Once more, whole, together, not alienated, not broken, not separate. That's why Jesus showed up. And Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death and saying, through his resurrection, that the old is gone. We don't think that way anymore. And the new has come. The old way of identifying yourself is gone. Whether it's money or status or the school you went to or the school your kids go to or the job you have or the things you've accomplished, all those ways of categorizing yourself, it's over. Paul says we're ambassadors of the king. We are the representatives of the king of the universe. And I I love the language he says. He says, God is making his appeal through us. 
I don't know where you work or where you spend your time. You are an ambassador of the king if you're saved by Jesus. And God is making his appeal through you to the people around you. That's obligation language right there. You are an ambassador. The ambassador of a president or a a head of state or a king does not go to work and go, this is what I'm thinking today. My preferences. He knows what the king wants. He knows what the queen wants. She knows what the head of state wants. She knows what the president wants. And the ambassador does what's in the best interest of the person they represent. We're ambassadors of the king of the universe. We are the heralds of the good news. We are the ones through whom God is making his appeal. So as ambassadors, as those through whom God is making an appeal, as those who have been sent by Jesus, just like Jesus was sent by the God who obligated himself, we can, with Paul, say, I am under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I am under obligation to the city dwellers and the suburbanites, those in Portland and those in West Lynn, the refugee and the elite, the poor and the rich, the broken and the put together, the wise and the foolish, the desirable and the undesirable, the people I like and the people I don't like, the outsider and the insider, the friends and the enemies, the co-workers and the neighbors. I'm obligated And I am eager to preach the gospel to you in Westland, in the house across the street, in the cubicle next to mine, because I'm an ambassador of the good news. Some may be thinking right now, that's too big. (laughs) I don't feel like I can preach the gospel. It's too big. Those are three really big words, and I don't know if I can handle that. Let me just try to encourage you in that. Proclaiming the good news is not just standing like I'm standing right now and exegeting Scripture for 40 minutes. That's definitely preaching the good news. That's definitely explaining who Jesus is. But you can proclaim the good news in little bits, little bite-sized nuggets. Paul definitely got up and preached the good news to large crowds, but he also talked to someone in prison, one-on-one. He also went to the place where people just talked about ideas, maybe something like the coffee shop or the pub now, and just talked with them. And sometimes Paul didn't, he he tried to take really big steps and sometimes it didn't work out. Even in Romans 1, we have him saying, I've been trying to get to you and it hasn't worked. He eventually gets to Rome en route to prison. It's not big and flashy. It's knowing who you're the the ambassador of and just being willing to show up. Just being willing to show up. I don't think the proper application of hearing, I have an obligation and I'm eager to preach, the proper application of that is not awkwardly standing in front of your coworker and sharing the gospel to them like a sophomore asking a girl to prom. 
That's not how this works. Because th- that's what we're prone to think, right? Okay, I've got to preach the gospel. So I'm going to go to work and there's going to be a moment. I'm going to stand by this copier. You're going to hell and Jesus saved you. Oh man, this is terrible. Because that, that's, that's what I often think. Like, I have to do this. It's my obligation. I have to do this. But I think it's, just take a baby step. Just be a friend to someone. It's, it's asking the Holy Spirit to change your heart so that your obligations are informing your eagerness. It's asking your coworker, hey, you want to go to lunch? I'll buy you lunch. It's befriending your coworker. It's engaging with him or her because you're eager to love them. It's just showing up. It's telling them, hey, I pray to God and I want to pray for you. Is there something I could do to pray for you? That's, that's, a, little, that's a little step, right? Even, even that's a little bit scary, I know. But that's a little piece. Hey, I, al- I already pray for you. Is there anything you want me to pray for you about? I asked that of a friend once and he said, yeah, I want to win the lottery. That'd be great. And then he said, I just had a kid and I'm freaked out. I don't know how to be a dad. Two seconds. I didn't pull out my Bible and... No, just, hey, I want to pray for you. I love you. I already pray for you. How can I pray for you? It's taking that friend to lunch. It's taking that friend to a coffee or beverage or whatever. It's loving that person. It's showing up. I talked to a guy who's going through a really rough divorce, just a coworker. I said, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm, I don't know how I can help you, but I'm here and I'm willing to talk. And he said, that I just want to talk to someone. We didn't talk about Romans. We didn't talk about any of those things. It's just showing up because I'm obligated to that coworker. I'm obligated to that friend I have. I'm obligated to the person across the street. It's being there for them when it's really hard. It's being willing to just listen. It's being willing to just say hello. For some, it may be asking some people, I don't know how to make friends. Can you help me? I have an obligation to love people and I don't even know how to say hello to them. And I think when you, when you engage and you have an eager ear, you will realize that the gospel affects all of life and there are thousands of opportunities to share bits of the gospel with the people you're obligated to. Being eager is just showing up, is just trying to show up. Just befriend people. I eat lunch with uh, a, a coworker, a previous coworker. We don't work together anymore. But we eat lunch every other week and we just talk. We just eat food. We split who pays for it every time. And we just talk. And sometimes our conversations veer to things that are informed by the gospel. And I don't go, yes, here's my opportunity. One, two, three, four, five. It's no, I, this is what I think about who we are as humans and it, because of the gospel. This is what I think about um, leadership and politics because of the gospel. 
This is what I think about um, you talking about your, your dad's mind going away because of Alzheimer's. And this is who we are as people. We're not just our memories. We are people that have um, value because we reflect who God is. And we just have these little conversations back and forth. And I'm just eager to show up and eat lunch with him. And I'm eager to be there with him. Just befriend, befriend people. We are ambassadors of the king. And we have many, many, many opportunities to sprinkle the proclamation of the good news. So I want you to think this morning, what is your baby step? I don't, I don't want you to feel like you have to get up out of the pew this morning and start sprinting like Paul and trying to get to Rome. What's your baby step? Maybe it's time to sit down and ponder for a little while this week, who are the people close to me that I've just been avoiding? That person that maybe lives across the street and when you go and get mail, you get the mail really quickly so you don't have to say hello. Or when you come home, you, you just go straight into the garage and shut the garage door because this is, this is my castle. Who have you been avoiding? Maybe it's time to sit down with your family and have a conversation and ask, how are we going to carve out time weekly so that we can make time for our obligation, make time for our engagement? Maybe you're thinking about the thing that takes a lot of, maybe there's a preference or a hobby that takes a lot of time. Maybe it's considering pulling that back so you can make time Fear obligation, time for the people we can engage. Maybe it's time to ask someone for a beverage. Just, just a quick 45-minute hangout. Maybe it's time to ask a coworker or a friend to lunch. Pay for it. Hang out. Maybe it's time to tell that friend that you have a relationship with now that you pray for him or you pray for her. Maybe it's time to pray for your friend. Maybe it's time to become a part of some activity that will put you in a place surrounded by those you're obligated to. Just a prayerful baby step. And I'd say tell your life group. Tell them, I'm going to take this little step and I am terrified. And I might fall on my face. I've seen a lot of babies take little baby steps. And what do they usually do when they take a first step? They fall. And they fall again. And they fall again. But eventually, they're walking across the room. Eventually, they're running across the room. Eventually, they're diving across the room, right? But it started with, okay. Just a little baby step. Tell your life group, I'm doing this. I'm scared. And if you fall, they're there with you. And if it works out and you take a step, you get a bunch of people going, awesome. Do another one. I want us to just take baby steps with anticipation that we can begin to walk. Start looking at people and reminding yourself, this person is my obligation. I am under obligation to this person. I guarantee you that will change the way you think about the person you work next to or the person that has the kids you drop off at the same time at school or the person you see every time at the grocery store or the person across the street that I just don't want to engage with. It changes the way you think. You have an obligation 
to these people. And I want us to remember that we are ambassadors of the good news. We are ambassadors of the good news. And the good news is that God obligated himself to us. That's fantastic. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to love us. But he decided, I will obligate myself to these people and I will save them. And once I save them, I will make them ambassadors. And I will have them tell other people that I have obligated myself for them. That's amazing. This morning, we get to physically remember the good news that Jesus broke his body and gave his blood because he obligated himself for us. He decided to pay the debt and mend relationship with us. So during the next song, um, there's going to be the elements at the front and at the back. I mean, during this next song, if you identify as one saved by Jesus, um, take each of these elements and after, after the song is over, we'll take them together as ambassadors of the good news. Let's pray.